This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. It's episode 722. This week, we welcome Pete Consigli, John Isaacson, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. I don't fall prey to MUS, which is either made up stuff or if you're a scientist, made up science. Uh, <laughs> and and what I took away from him is that it's all about science. Every building material has science behind it. I talked about the scientific uh, method where you define a question, you conduct research, you propose a hypothesis, you can perform experiments to test the hypothesis. You know, from that you get data and analysis, and from that you draw conclusions. One of the things I thought was fascinating is, is he had this slide uh, of a piece of wood, and he talked about the different ways that that wood could be cut, and that the the the, the manner in which they, the same log, the manner in which they cut that wood uh, influences the amount of moisture resistance that that wood's going to have, which I never really thought about before. And he pointed out that rift cutting uh, that sawn wood is the most moisture resistant. And he said that uh, we've known about this since 1919, uh, <laughs> when the Forest Products Laboratory of the U.S. Department of Agriculture conducted research on aircraft propeller uh, propellers. So those old double wing planes from World yep. War One uh, wood propellers, propellers were made out of wood. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then he talked about duration of loss, and he had done some experiments. Uh, he mentioned that OSB expands 30% uh, in exposure to high relative humidity. Uh, talked about uh, window window failure caused by OSB expanding uh, around the window and creating pressure on the window and then making it leak. And he talked about, you know, studying the elapsed time from leak to when it's noticed. You know, a lot of people have a leak in their home. Uh, they don't recognize it you know it can be from you know refrigerator uh you know water line going to the refrigerator for ice or you know something underneath the sink and it's underneath the floor and it leaks for a long period of time before the people identify it so he's done a lot of study on that over to you john yeah that was i mean seeing you know the simple tests that they put together to try to test different materials and the impacts of moisture and pressure um, that was really interesting. Um, and then his point to using the right materials in the environments, um, you know, the, the, the flip side to that is even if we have the data um, still cost sometimes drives the materials that we use. So yeah. <laughs> even if, you know, it's maybe subpar um, it's, it's not just the science, it's the market and then educating the client on, you know, why this, Costs more, but it is better in the long term um, if the if the client even values that. So let's go to the next one here. Keynote by Dr. Ralph Moon. What is technical competence? Why is it important? Planning for the day you get sued or are deposed. What do you do, Cliff? Uh, one of the things, uh, one of the great takeaways that, I, that 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 I got was that different professions have different languages, and he says that the language used by engineering is different than language used in biology. He also said that building materials have unique languages as well. And we have a challenge to communicate and, and train the next generation that's coming along. He said that what comp 
comprises technical competences, knowledge, skills, the ability to problem solve, and communications. Yep. Uh, he said that you should look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I ascending in my profession or not? And if you mm -hmm. don't feel you're ascending, uh, you should do something about it. And uh, he suggested more industry involvement or attending uh, industry programs in order to do that. Um, he said that technical competence is different than professional competence. And he said that in technical competence, uh, workers often learn by mimicking. Uh, you know, they have apprentice programs where plumbing is taught or electrician uh, or, you know, becoming an electrician is taught or carpentry is taught. He said it's different than the professions. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, in the professions we learn and attend oftentimes through te technical education and then through technical comp uh, conferences. He mentioned that ATP can be a liability, ATMA. ATP measures cleanliness, not the types of microbes that are present. Uh, he reminded employers to keep their axes sharp. And I thought an excellent thing that he did was to get their get your employees to participate uh, in industry in, in training within your company by sharing stories of what they learned on the job or how something uh, that they learned applied to the project and you know, get them to tell stories. And that way, you know, you're kind of raising everybody's uh, education. The final thing I got was that technical confidence, competence is really a lifelong pursuit. John. I think these are still the notes. Um, oh yeah. Um, I, I liked the, the formula for competence. He said, anticipate change and you will always be correct. Um, <laughs> and then, um, but also kind of building into your process, the thought that what if I'm wrong, you know, and, and analyzing what if I'm wrong and where might I be wrong? What factors might in, interfere with my data interpretation? You know, something as simple as getting your moisture, moisture meters, um, using them properly and then, uh, making sure that they're calibrated. Does your team actually know how to use the moisture meters, what the readings are telling them, and then how to interpret that um, effectively? Um, <laughs> and they said, sadly, there's no consequence for incompetence. Um, <laughs> and that was part of the conversation is, you know, what what is the process as an industry to then, uh, he was speaking primarily for the environmental professionals, but uh, the same applies to the contractors is, you know, what is that process of, uh, properly educating and holding people accountable for representing the industry, you know, the right way. Let's look at Joe Spurgeon, the essential elements of a professional formal report, how to defend your assessment reports, recommended protocols and post remediation verification. I think Joe's uh, one of my favorite guests on the show. All right. Um, he said that if you want a defensible report, you have to write a quality report. And he said that defensible report writing is critical and um, you need to document, you know, for instance, he gave an example of documenting if you're going to take an air sample, what time did you take it? And that time is important because it, that, that's, you, you, if that's the first thing you've done when you're on the particular job, you haven't stirred up anything, you haven't disturbed the indoor environment. So having the timing of that sample is important. He went on to say if it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. He said the report may be the only thing occupants, the insurance company or attorney will see. 
the report documents, condition, the inspection process, and the results of the inspection. The report informs about the significance of the findings. The report communicates information. Data in the report is usable and actionable. And when you write a report, you may be called upon to defend the report in either a deposition or during a trial. John? I think uh, I think it was during the question and answer portion, but they're talking about um, what should you do if the uh, opposing side brings in really terrible um, expert witnesses? You know, do you want to get them thrown out or dismissed? And he goes, no, I love having them on the stand. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, usable, actionable information. Um, again, like he wasn't. It doesn't have to be super complex, but it just needs to make sense. All right. Hey, Joe, the one thing I'll dovetail, I think that Joe's talk about reports really dovetailed off of what Jeremy was talking about. When Jeremy yeah. just used the case study and showed there were just so many bad reports, Joe came in because he get he does he gets requested to do a lot of reviews and uh and uh, he he said it's embarrassing some of the things he sees in special reports. So. I agree. So All now right. we're going to move to the day two to Angela. So Cliff's up. Uh, go ahead and read Angela's talk there. Okay. Uh, Angela talked about contracts, AOBs, collections, and preventing going legal. Joe, a lot of the things that were in our interview with Angela, you know, she touched upon there and, you know, she added some additional stuff to it. Um, let's see. Talked about the importance of knowing who your customer is, who's going to be paying you, uh, the importance of uh, having a good contract, um, the importance of knowing whether or not it's a covered loss. And if it's not a covered loss, does the client have the ability to pay? Uh, talked about managing expectations, uh, you know, communications, the importance of it, good documentation. Uh, she uh, talked about... Uh, using Encircle, uh, and they've been on our program as well, and how how a an estimator can do a real-time video along with narration, and then the software actually prints out, uh, you know, gives you a printout of uh, what was dictated. Um, the importance of having regular communications, uh, you know, with the client, uh, and uh, scheduling... Uh, required performance delivery schedule. So if the client's responsible for ordering something or making a choice of cabinets or something like that, that, uh, you know, they have to do it and they have to understand that, you know, that could adversely affect uh, the project. Uh, important of, importance of documentation. Every time you have a conference with, you know, someone, be it the adjuster, be it the client, uh, you should make a memo and, uh, you know, kind of, copy them back in. This is my understanding of, you know, what we discussed. Um, talked about having a collection plan where you send your invoices properly. Uh, you then uh, call the client and uh, confirm that they've received it and ask whether or not they've had any questions. Then kind of mention, uh, when can we expect payment? And then you could gradually escalate uh, as needed. Uh, she talked about lien rights and AOBs. Uh, making a decision, uh, you could mit potentially mitigate the cost of dispute resolution. Uh, some policies have an arbitration clause or have an appraisal clause, and you know she's kind of pro uh, appraisal. 
uh, you know, when you can get that to happen. Uh, she talked about uh, if you a reason for getting involved in, in a litigation, deciding to litigate, you know, the contract has been reached, breached, uh, the client uh, had unjust enrichment, uh, something called uh, quantum marut uh, conversion or statutory conversion. Um, she, she talked about doing a lien and, and sometimes just the threat of a lien is uh, more leverage than actually doing the lien. Uh, she talked about the litigation process, um, that their timelines are uh, real important uh, in that litigation process. Um, let's see. Uh, talked about when to compromise, when to consider it, when not to. Uh, and then she talked about industry setting precedents and how important that is. Uh, you know, the restoration industry has... It's small in comparison to the insurance industry and the amount of money we have to kind of further our industry interests. And that the, the best way to do it is through setting industry precedent cases. So if a contractor is really uh, abused, you know, perhaps that contractor should consider, you know, taking this case to court, even going up to the Supreme Court, et cetera, because, you know, a big win uh, really can benefit uh, the industry. Uh, just a couple final things. Uh, she talked about always be careful what you put in writing. She talked about <laughs> potential problem clients, uh, hoarders being one, doctors being another. And one thing that was really a good idea is if you're going in, if you're in mitigation, if or I'm sorry, yeah, if you're in litigation or mediation. Uh, if you ask the mediator as to where he thinks the case is going to settle, in many situations, he'll tell you. And you can go to the other side and say, look, this is where we're going to end up. You know, uh, why don't we just go ahead and settle it now for, you know, for that amount of money. So, yeah, instead of spending a, really, a bunch really, of money getting there anyway. So, right. okay, really, really good stuff. John, any thoughts yeah. on a Angela Bairamai? I th she did a great job. Um, I think, uh, you know, a, a big portion of her um, presentation was on communication. So your day sales or being able to collect is impacted by regular and systematic communication. Um, and then to Cliff's point, um, she gave some examples of some emails and it's, uh, you know, be very careful what you put in writing, especially on your company, you know, phone and email inner office communication will be subpoenaed um and then um and then you know, you know communication uh throughout that process so once once especially you know it's going to litigation don't put it in an email uh or even a text unless the your lawyer advises you to do so 